Welcome to this podcast produced for Business Lincolnshire as part of the Fit for Business programme. Hi, I'm Guy Lewis and we're joined today by Nat McMillan from McMillan Associates. Hi Nat, how are you? Hi, morning Guy, I'm really good, how are you? I'm good thanks, I'm very good. So how's work been this week? It's been busy, it's been varied and do you know what, it's great to be getting out and about again. I love being with people in person and I'm really enjoying getting out to see clients and businesses. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. It's, uh, it makes such a change from being in a room on your own for years, doesn't it? It does, or on them Zoom calls <laughs> where there's no cameras on and you wonder if anybody's there. <laughs> <laughs> talking to the abyss. Um, yeah, so what are we talking about today? Today we thought we'd talk about employment status, which people might be thinking, ooh, that sounds a bit dry. But in my experience in our business, we get asked about this a lot. Um, and I think it can feel a little bit complicated to small businesses. So hopefully we're going to try and make it simple. You know me, Guy, I like to keep it simple and practical. <laughs> I run my own business as well. So I'm well versed in the issues that small businesses face. So let's try and make it simple, but also cover a bit of how you can be creative okay. around the contracts that you offer, particularly with the tight labour market, how hard it is to recruit at the moment. Excellent. Okay, so tell me a bit more about what businesses need to know around employment status. Okay, so as I've said, I'm going to keep it simple. I'm not going to go into solicitor terminology, you'll be relieved to hear. Good, good. But essentially, you've got what we call three types of employment status. So we talk about people either being an employee, a worker, or a freelancer contractor. Those are the three types. In terms of being an employee, fairly simplistic. You have a contract of employment, you are on the payroll, you are PAYE, you have all the entitlements that you'll know people like me talk about. So sick pay, annual leave, right to 2P, all of those things, you know, redundancy, all of those things that come with that protection when you're employed. We then have what we call worker, which is somewhere between a kind of hybrid between being self-employed and being employed. Let me keep it simple for you. I can't say, I've already got that question mark above my head. What does it mean? A worker essentially doesn't have a contract of employment. They have an agreement and they are not obliged to work for you. So they haven't got to work for you every Monday, if you like, in a month. It's far more free and flexible than that. You might be asking, how is that different to a contractor? Well, the difference is you do pay them through your payroll and they are entitled to annual leave. The only advice I'd give here, Guy, is if you think anybody might be a worker, get a bit of advice just to be sure. Because that seems quite close. An employee, PAYE, all the rights, the whole, you know, the whole gamut of everything you get from that. And then worker, slightly less, they're PAYE, but they're, they're not contracted for Monday morning, 9.30 or whatever. It's, it's, it's more of an arrangement. Exactly. They can often be similar to where we talk about that difference between a worker and a freelancer, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of the kind of gig economy. But the difference with the worker is there is some obligation. It's not the same as an employee. So I have people that I expect them to do so many hours in a week. A worker is more flexible, but it can have the advantage because you don't have all them employment rights that can put you at risk later. Okay. And advice is if you're not sure if you've got someone, if you're an employee or a worker or you are an employer and thinking, are they a worker? Take some advice. Definitely. So that's the the first two? So first two. And then the third one is our freelancer and our contractor. Also, we use we use lots of different language for this, don't we? I call them associates in my 
business. Of course I do. We're Macmillan and Associates. <laughs> um, so we have a combination of people who are employed, but we have some people where perhaps we have a discrete piece of work that comes in. Perhaps we suddenly have a bit of demand for a couple of months and we say to somebody, could you do so many hours between, let's say, May through to the end of June? Yes, I can. They manage all of their own invoicing. They are not employed by me. My only obligation is to pay them by invoice and they manage everything else themselves. So they're, they're not on your payroll. They're not. They're not PAYA, pay as you earn, so you're not paying their tax. It's, it's, that's down to them as a freelancer or as a contractor to sort their own arrangements out with HMRC, etc. I guess. Absolutely. And I think my one really simple word of advice to employers is you can have a combination Think about what your business needs are, you know, what might be coming down the line, particularly for startups. It can be really hard, can't it, to predict what's the next year looking like? Do we have months where we're very busy? Do we have months where we're not as busy? It gets easier as you get into business, you start to understand your cycle of work. But you can have different models. I do. So I have all three that work in my business based on what my needs are. And I think it's always bearing that in mind. What does your business need? How do you keep that flexibility to deliver for you and the business? So in a way, that idea of that sort of worker or even freelance contractor is is that sort of a little bit nearer to, to outsourcing. It's actually something you've got more control. It's more internal, but it's it's something you're not taking on maybe, you know, with a, with a long-term and, and a full employee status. Yeah, okay, that, absolutely. That, okay, that's brilliant. Um, you mentioned before, zero-hours contracts. So, so go on, where do they fit in? Now, I might be controversial here, but I think zero-hour contracts are a really good thing. Mm-hmm. I think we've all had a real negative view of them because of the media coverage. We've seen some big cases, haven't we? People talking quite negatively about gig economy, people being exploited. For me, that's an unfair um, view of zero hours. I think they can work really well, not just for the business, but actually for the individual. Mm-hmm. Some people want to be able to work in a way where they don't have to pick up work. They're not obliged to do it. So a really good example might be students. Yeah. I know, you know, mm-hmm. I know a lot of students, my own son is 18. He works on a zero hours contract and I encouraged him to do that because it works brilliantly for him he'll get asked could you do I don't know Wednesday morning could you do Friday evening he picks up the shifts as and when he wants it there'll be other people as well where that works for them sometimes people who've retired or -hmm. perhaps people that have what we call these portfolio careers you know where you want to pick up bits of work here or there you don't want to commit to Monday to Wednesday every week but you want a little bit of money coming in or you want to keep your hand in so for me zero hour contracts work really really well and they are that there is no obligation for you as an employer to provide the work equally there's no obligation for them to work for you so when you're saying the media coverage I mean that the impression you get from the media is that Actually, if they don't turn up for work, they get sacked, sacked from a zero-hours contract, if that's possible. And what you're saying, actually, it's still this sort of mutual agreement. Here's some work. It's available Wednesday. Can you make it? Yes, no. And if you can, great. And if you can't, I'll ask the next person. So that's how you think zero-hours works and, and works well. Yeah. You mentioned um, you mentioned portfolio. Mm. Mm, what's a portfolio yeah, career? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're becoming more and more popular. Um, I mean, people can't see me, obviously, on the radio, thank goodness. Uh, But I'm of a certain age where the career advice I still got was you get a job and you stay in it until you retire and grow your pension. 
that is not the way of the world of work and particularly the younger generation coming through. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people will move jobs, but people will also potentially have a number of jobs at the same time. So I talked about some of the associates that work for me. One of mine um, associates has a number of different jobs that she works for and businesses, and she loves it. It's varied. Mm -hmm. It gives her that flexibility. So portfolio careers definitely becoming more popular. You might yourself know people who do one job, perhaps as an accountant, and then they almost moonlight as, you know, I don't know, a, um, a physical trainer, yeah, yeah. you know, or yeah. I know somebody who's um, a baby, does baby massage as well as being an HR consultant. So that's what I mean by a portfolio career employers are going to have to adapt to that. It's okay. really hard to recruit, isn't it? I quite like that idea. I think mm. I'm going to use that term. <laughs> uh, you mentioned before gig economy. So that portfolio career, is that gig economy? Is that is that linked? Is that the same? Is it? I suppose it's, it's a bit similar, but the bit around the gig economy is you get paid for what you do, essentially. Okay. So a bit like you've got, you know, the, the Uber taxes, haven't you? Um, when you turn up, you get paid. Mm -hmm. When you don't, you don't. Um, and again, I think we have to be really careful that we don't go with those headlines that are negative about it. Mm -hmm. Works for some people. I want to get paid as and when I work. So mm -hmm. it's all of that together. Really, it's the zero hours again, isn't it, Guy? It's just a bit of a different terminology around it. Okay. And, and so employment status, that's what we're talking about. What about, you know, does that change with these like flexible hours or annualized hours? Or can that be across all of them? Yeah, so if you're going to look to have um, annualised hours, you could have it across all of them, but you'll have to be quite careful that there isn't an obligation. Um, I don't want to get too technical no. on this, um, but generally if you're going to try and have something that's more annualised hours, I would stick with that being a contract of employment. But just to build on that, the flexibility around contracts, I think is really important for people to think beyond that traditional Somebody comes to work for me full-time, nine till five. Mm -hmm. Leonard, as I've said, people with portfolio careers, your new word to take away from That's today, right. that means people might want to work part-time in your business and have another part-time job at exactly the same time. And I think we can be a bit rigid and a bit traditional in our views around that. If we want to get good people then work with them and be flexible around what you offer them. So we might have temporary contracts as well, uh, where people just work for a period of time, really good in seasonal work. That's the obvious one, isn't uh -huh. it, for temporary uh -huh. contracts. Yeah. And I immediately, I don't know about you, but I think about the seaside as soon as I talk about seasonal work. But it's not just at the seaside, things like fruit picking, where you know you've got a period of time where you've got a certain influx of work and demand to put people on fixed term contract three months absolutely fine just mm -hmm. be clear about the start date and the end date but look at part-time contracts term time that's another big mm -hmm. one at the moment that works brilliantly for can i just say not just women but men parents parents absolutely. thank you uh, we seem to make an assumption that it's only women Mothers that might want to work term time, not true. Uh, but they can be really, really good. And again, a good way to attract people. Often the pushback I get is, but then I haven't got them for the whole of that August and July. Mm, yeah, yeah. But my view with businesses is, but could you live with that? And my own perspective is, if they're really good, 
then I can probably flex around that summer holiday. You can plan it, can't you? You can plan your resources like, like you would on any other time of the year. Yeah, okay. of course you can. So, yeah, I think my main thing is encouraging people, be creative, think a little bit out of the box, think beyond Monday to Friday, nine till five. The other one that um, we've talked about before, Guy, is job share as well. Um, and I know they can work brilliantly. I know actually um, some people at board level who now do job share, which is a big shift, I would have said. Uh, but job shares can work brilliantly. And again, I think for your business, you kind of get two for one, don't you? You know, you get two different brains, two different views, two people with different ideas. So I think job shares can be absolutely brilliant. I agree. My name is Guy Lewis, and you're with myself and Nat McMillan discussing employment status. Um, so we, we've talked about employees and we've talked about workers and the differences there and freelancers and contracts. But are there sort of advances on the temporary contracts, the fixed term versus the permanent employees, that sort of thing? And have you got any sort of top tips? Yeah, so I'll pick up the first bit about the advantages. Um, so with a permanent contract, clearly there's going to be employment rights that are in place. Mm -hmm. I am going to pick up one important point here, Guy, that I get asked all of the time and that people mention to me, which is this thing about two years. Mm. You might hear people talk about it. I hear people talk about it with great authority who don't necessarily know what they're talking about. So just a quick bit of myth-busting, shall mm. we, on yes, that. Let's do that. So it's absolutely true that until you've been employed for two years plus, you don't have some employment rights around unfair dismissal. Mm -hmm. However, this is the but. Employees can still claim discrimination. Okay. So you have to be very careful. What I'm saying is it's not as black and white as they've got less than two years, we can dismiss them on the spot. You have to be very careful about that. So there's still a process, so there's still the, the right thing to do uh, and, 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 and communication, I guess, and, 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 a, and a process. Absolutely. And just be really clear about what the dismissal is based on. Um, and just on that, it can also happen before you employ people, but we'll probably pick that up in one of our later podcasts. Okay. <laughs> it's a bit of a taster for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you also asked me about the, the other be benefits, if you like, advantages around yeah, yeah. temporary and, and permanent. Um, for me, the bit around both, I suppose, it depends on the individual, doesn't it? So sometimes a permanent contract, if somebody's looking for stability, and I'm thinking about the usual one that comes up is, I'm looking to buy a house or I need a mortgage. Yeah. People will need a permanent contract to be able to show the good old bank manager, won't they, that they've got regular income happening. But also sometimes people want that security, they want that stability, they want to know what's happening. But I think the advantage equally of temporary contracts, and I've alluded to it a little bit earlier, is you may have times when you know you're very busy, so you want somebody in for three months. You don't want to commit to a permanent contract. I think it just gives you that flexibility of managing your resource. And as I've said, some people prefer them. Uh -huh. Some people, as I've said, them retired people are a really good example. I know them. They come and do some work for us. They sometimes have homes elsewhere that they want to go to in summer, so they don't want to be pinned down. And I think the really important part for me is, as an employer, listen to that individual and always step back and think about, what can I do to accommodate this individual 
and balance that with the needs of the business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, and th- I suppose the other one is, you, you mentioned we talked about employees and workers and contractors. I suppose you, you, you've got to be really clear when what that con- what what actually the status is when you when you talk to someone in place so so that, i guess paperwork's important contracts are important and that explanation absolutely uh, music to my ears guy <laughs> i know paperwork is boring i know lots of our entrepreneurs don't want to get bogged down in it but you do have to do some minimum paperwork. So you're absolutely right. People need to know if they're coming on a contract of employment, what's the start date? What's the end date? So if I'm on a temporary fixed term contract, tell me when the end date is. Uh Just put it in writing. And can I also, this is a really good tip for people, email counts as writing. Okay. So it doesn't have to be one of these fancy formal letters. It can be an email from yourself. It's written. Mm-hmm. But just be really clear with them. Really other good advice is as people are coming to the end of a temporary contract, it's good just to remind them. Yeah, yeah. We're two weeks away. Your contract with us will be ending on such and such a day. I think the other thing also during the pandemic, and people might have spoken to you about this guy, was I was quite surprised at how many employers didn't know who was on the payroll and oh. who wasn't? Oh. And I think when you when you talked about it, you know, it seems like employee workers, and I think you know, that that to me there's a there's a bit there that thinking, well, hang on a minute, I need I need clarity to that. But like you say, the the contractors, the casual, the the freelancer, we, we, that, it's all very blurred. And yeah, I think I think it, there has been confusion. I don't think it's been that clear. And really good what you're saying, that advice of get something written down, get again an email. Brilliant, that's easy, isn't it? Send an email out, get a reply, and that that works. Absolutely. And just be aware, if you are doing temporary contracts and they roll over and they get extended, this can happen and does happen frequently. Just keep an eye on how that's adding up, because once you get to that two years, Mm -hmm. they are by default permanent. Okay, so they move into that employee status naturally after two years. They do, and they're seen as having a permanent contract. Okay, with all the the benefits and things that they come with, and obviously... The, the sort of things that you then have to provide as a as an employer. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it, it can happen really easily. You know, we all know how quickly time flies and <laughs> suddenly you find somebody's been with us for three years. I thought it had only been a year. It's just it's just good housekeeping. So I don't want to overburden people mm-hmm. with paperwork, but just some simple processes to keep yourself safe. What about what about just quick about trial periods? I mean, that is, does, is that part of the employment status or is it, is it the same for everything? How does that work? Are they, are, they, are they the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do? Yeah, so I'll pick that up in two ways if it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just pick up about probationary periods. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely fine, perfectly legal to do. So these are those that sit within a contract of employment mm-hmm. where perhaps somebody's got three months or six months is what we usually see. You're on your probationary period, you're reviewed, and when you get to the end of it, you've passed it, if you like. They're really good to do. It's a bit of, you know, for both you and whoever's working for you, a bit of a chance to adjust to the job and is it working for you and what help they might need. Just make sure that you clearly write to them to say if the probationary period has ended or is being extended. Mm-hmm. I've just had a client this week that's fallen foul of that. So the employee has now, it is an employee in this case. Mm -hmm. They have now been with them for seven months. They now want to do something. Well, unfortunately, by default, 
they've passed through it because yeah. you didn't tell them that they hadn't. So that's the thing that most employers forget to do. They put it in place, but they don't use it. The other thing about trial period is I'm hearing a lot, particularly in bar work uh, and other areas, uh, hospitality though predominantly, where people are being asked to work a shift as a mm. trial. Oh, okay. Not paid. Mm. That is not okay legally. In fact, it's illegal. Okay. Um, so be really careful about that. Um, I actually think morally it's wrong as well, if I'm really honest. And you know I'll always share my views on it. Yeah. Um, but you can't ask people to work a shift and not pay them. The very basics of our employment law is you get paid for what you work. And I think it's crept in a little bit with younger people, if I'm honest, and in some low-income jobs. So I hope I've been clear there, Guy. Don't do it. Or if you do it, do it at your own risk. Yeah, pay them. <laughs> pay them. Exactly. Why wouldn't we? Absolutely. Well, thanks for today. It's, that's been really good, really useful. Brilliant. Thanks, Guy. Good to talk as always. You've been listening to a Business Lincolnshire podcast. Look out for the next episode. If you're listening on the Business Lincolnshire YouTube channel, don't forget to give us a thumbs up or subscribe down below. If you're on your favourite podcast platform, then remember to follow the show. More information at businesslincolnshire.com.